Hello and welcome to the Karen Instinct podcast. And today we're talking to Robin Brooks Sheriff from the Newport Institute. I don't know, can I say it's our alma mater? Yes, I think <laughs> the so. The Institute <laughs> is where both Joe and I have studied. And Robin is on the faculty of the Newfield Institute in Vancouver, Canada. She's a registered nurse in Calgary, Canada, where she has worked in various capacities with families and clients for over tw- 28 years. She's a mother of an about-to-be 20-year-old daughter, wife, sister, auntie and grandmother to her two step-grandsons. Robin works as a sexual health nurse with teens and young adults with a focus on teen moms. The understanding of the attachment and developmental underpinnings of the Newfield Institute brings tremendous insight into the emotionally intense adolescent years gained through Dr. Newfield's approach is immensely helpful when offering a guiding hand through the maze our teens and their families face. And it sounds like with your work, you've been with teens through thick and thin, really. Yeah, absolutely. And thank you for the welcome, Olga. Yes, I spend a lot of time in really intense conversations with teenagers. So, um, and through some really uh, tough spots, I work a lot with teen moms um, who are either pregnant or parenting. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's a lot of really heavy Mm -hmm. decisions in there, right? Yeah. My kids are very young, but you know what? The narrative out there is just you wait. It's only going to get worse when they hit teenagehood. They're really not setting us up for <laughs> much joy. That's a great way to put it, right? We really don't... Because um, I would say, yes, it, gets, it can get really sticky and tricky in those early adolescent years. But if we don't come to that with, you know, some joy and love and you know uh, for our children and to remember you know how much we love them (laughs) through those spots it's going to be really hard to come through so we're set up um, to anticipate uh, you know awful things and they can be very trying times but we really do need to find the joy and the connection and hang on to our teenagers hang on to our teenagers shouldn't we let go ah <laughs> and that is one of the i think <laughs> most difficult and and most um I, one of those myths that just hampers us we got very married to um believing that teenagers uh you know need to let go and that they need to you know become Uh, more independent and that we need to push that independence that somehow if we don't you know sort of shove them out of the nest they're going to stay in the nest forever and I'd say even these days that's even more true um, the narrative that we're getting around that and it's not true and in fact it's when they need us the most they just need us in these They need us at 11.30 at night when they finally decide they're ready to debrief their day and you really want to go to sleep. (laughs) They need us in the car on the way to um, some sort of activity or to, you know, back and forth. They need us in strange and wonderful ways that require us to be very present for the tiny little moment in time that they really need us. But those are so important. Could you tell us about the course that you facilitate at the Newfield Institute, Making Sense of Adolescence? It's a course that, um, for me, was you know a fundamentally life-changing, because I think I was always quite afraid of teenagers. So when my children were your, you know, my daughter was your child's age, I was kind of like, oh my, you know, those teenagers, they're so, I'm intimidated by them. I don't know, you know, how to interact with them. And at that point, I wasn't working with teens so much. I um, Taking this course just made, it makes so much sense. And I sort of laugh and say that everybody needs to take it twice because the first time you take it ends up being about your adolescence. <laughs> no matter how hard you try <laughs> to focus on your kids, you're busy making sense of your own adolescence. <laughs> and that's actually an incredibly important step. 
because if we don't make sense of our own adolescence in there, then we tend to drag that all into our children's adolescence, and we can't separate very well what's their stuff and what's our stuff. Adolescence is a time of incredibly intense emotions on purpose. Many things are very new. Um, there's a lot of changes going on. And so the intensity of that also creates really intense memories for us as well. Because it's, it's quite a shift from what the narrative is out there around teenagers. And it reminds us of why this is so difficult. Because it's meant to be t teenagers, adolescence is a time of transition. And transitions are inherently uncomfortable. And so parenting a teenager is inherently uncomfortable. <laughs> it, it's a struggle. It's a bridge you need to cross. So it's a course that I find even by the first two, um, uh, the first two sessions, people are like, oh, okay, this makes so much sense. I can calm down a bit. I understand what's going on, which I find as a parent of an adolescent is key because we get very anxious about whether our teenagers are going to make this transition to being a good part of, you know, a part of society. Will they, can they fly? Will they do it? And we get very caught up in the anxiety of that. And then we tend to get very tense and crunchy as parents. Would you? So I can stop postponing it because I yeah. keep postponing taking the course until uh, my children are a little older. So I can just do the first iteration for myself. It makes so much sense. You though. can. And we've divided it. it. It's now a 10 session course. And then part two is adolescence and sexuality, um, which follows on the heels of that. And um, also gives you a much better sense of what to do, especially in these times when um, the sexuality piece has just become really complicated and parents are not very sure of where to put their feet without uh, um, you just sort of stepping wrong. It's, it feels a bit confusing. So again, it can be, just be really grounding to remind yourself of, you know, what is the most important parts out of all of this that our children need to understand and we need to understand. And the more we parent well um, and keep the relationship top of mind with our younger children, the more relationship we have to work with in the teen years mm. when things are a little more difficult, right? So if you don't have that strong uh, relationship to work with, when you hit 12 and 13 and things are getting really tense, if you haven't got that to lean on, it's a lot harder. So have some relationship gold in the bank. <laughs> Very much. By the time you get to teenage years. Yeah. Because you'll be making withdrawals. <laughs> I love it. Exactly. But deposits as well. <laughs> and you need to be able to just fall back into that. When, you know, things are just going sideways, you need to have the grace to just let it go and you know, say something like, well, that's not going well for us. Let's go for a ride and get some fries or chips. Let's go get some ice cream. <laughs> Let's just watch a show together. <laughs> just bring the connection back to the forefront. We can come back to the whatever the heck happened later in a calmer moment, but there's sometimes, and there's frequently, it's it's the art in teenagehood, I think, is just backing off of the incident as much as you can and, and holding the relationship in front because that's what will let them come back with some dignity. <laughs> Oof, hard. Very hard. <laughs> Especially, I can imagine, when we're triggered, when we feel disrespected. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And we can get really caught up in that narrative and from our own childhood and from what we don't want our teenager out there doing in the world. We don't. It really hits us at about 12, 13, 14. It becomes very important in that age range. And it, it's a it, it's a real shocker. It doesn't matter, you know, the first time you, you face it. 
Because developmentally, whether they're ready or not, when puberty hits and those changes start to happen, now physically, but they also start to happen in terms of what's happening in their brain. And in their brain, Mother Nature puts up, essentially puts up walls because we need to figure out it is time to find our own inner selves in that time. It is time to find who teenage Robin is, who teenage Olga is. This is the moment that we need to find our own emergent true self that is, you know, going to be the center from here on in. It's a new definition of our identity. So we've had an identity, but we need to come to a more mature identity that is very, you know, centered on ourselves. So what happens is they actually become very deaf to any outside um, instruction at this point. We sort of say, you had the first 12 years to get everything in that you wanted to. <laughs> you don't get to do it between like 12 and 16. So whatever, you have to hold the faith that you put it in there and it's going to come back out. But they are allergic to direction in those years. And it's, they can't help it. It's just what their brain is meant to do. And it's on purpose because they need to make enough space to find their own meanings and find their own selves in there. And so they can't hear us. And so they're, you know, awfully frustrating and they're really not paying attention and they're bumbling around in the universe and everything is about them. And that can look really alarming because you swore you taught them better. right? <laughs> but it's just the nature of the change that they're going through. And it's the hardest point because you have to hold the faith that you put it in there and it's going to all work out in the end. But right now you're just keeping them from wandering into traffic because they're not paying attention. You're just keeping them out of harm's way, you know, being the, the bumper pads as they bounce around trying not to, uh, you know, hurt themselves. That's your job. And they're going to roll their eyes at you and they're going to, you know, sound like they're unhappy about it. Know, that's kind of their job at that point in time. And our job is to say, yeah, I know, and I'm doing it anyway. And I can, can imagine just when they need to figure out, as you've just said, what their inner self is at the moment, this is when the outside world is coming in with all the names and characteristics for them. You are this good at school, you're this good at this subject, you're this good at that subject, uh, the peers that all have words for them, us that either in frustration or in admiration find adjectives for them. So there's a lot that they can take on from the outside, but you're saying they aren't taking on so much. And they're really looking inwardly. Yeah, it will be, and they're really looking inwardly. And it really points out how much at this moment that peers are not what you need right now, because your peers are going through the exact same thing, which means that they're very centered on themselves and what they're saying or doing has everything to do with their own, um, you know, what's going on inside them and nothing to do with you. So they are horrible at looking after each other at this age if you've ever been, particularly, yeah. I find, you know, ask any female what the junior high or middle school years would like. I think that's, you know, sort of that when you're 12, 13, 14. Yep, nightmare. Right? <laughs> All of us will be like, oh, <laughs> yeah. Hell. <laughs> that wasn't a fun time. <laughs> Absolutely. Why? It's hell because we put them all together in one space. And expect them to actually be able to look after each other when they can't. They're trying to figure out why my feet are so big and I don't understand what's going on in my brain and I have no impulse control and I just, oh, there, I want, like, they can't figure anything out at this stage and you sure as heck can't put them in charge of looking after a friend and their emotional state because they can't do it. They need adults who can hold the relationship while they figure it out. Like that's literally what needs to happen. And so junior high and those years of school, because of what we've done, are awful as a general rule. You know, they if they were in more 
age stratified groupings, it's much more helpful. So if they're in a school that has little kids and some older kids and there's this, you know, you still understand that your job, your instincts are that you have to be look after the younger children in the building, which makes you a little bit better self <laughs> in the moment. You have people that are older than you that can mentor you a little bit. But the peer, you know, that have come through that and can kind of say, hey, I know it sucks right now, <laughs> right? If we put them all at the same age and then we wonder why they are bullying each other and we wonder why they're so awful to each other, girl, female friendships in particular tend to go very sideways in this age group um, as they just can't figure out. And they're because they're very centered on their own selves. And that is for a reason. It's because they're building their own selves and we need to give them the grace and the space and the solitude to do that without getting wounded by somebody else. Yes. What's something that people, parents, teachers, just our culture, get wrong about teenagers? What's the number one thing that we get wrong? I think one of the, the biggest ones is that we feel like we need to push the independence, mm -hmm. that somehow we need to stop doing things for our teenagers because they must learn to do it themselves. Well, if I keep doing it, they're never going to learn. Well, if you didn't teach it to them prior to them being 12, uh, true, <laughs> right? Like there might be some problems there. But if you are like, no, my teenager knows that, you know, I know that we've had this discussion that it's important to help out around the house, that, you know, helping grandma um, pack the groceries in is the polite thing to do. All of those things are in there somewhere. They just can't get there right now. And our job is probably to step in more and provide. So I particularly around food, teenagers should not be feeding themselves. Teenagers need you. It is the best in for you as a parent because teenagers are always hungry. And it's your space where you can always hold the lead and gives you an easy in. So I'll say as much as you get sick of packing the school lunches and uh you know, that's not the place to give up the power, right? <laughs> Hang on to that. Hang on to the fact that the more we let them lean in and rest on us as they figure this awful stuff out, the more they will have the inclination and the drive to be independent. So they will, and you will watch and you can see where they naturally have an inclination to be independent. My daughter, for example, was generally was she was you know her bedroom growing up was a total disaster but i chose not to get into battles about these things because i had lots of experience as a child having those battles <laughs> and i was like no nope. so we you know together we kept it clean enough and she started to want to be very organized around her room and so i would you know i just gracefully backed out of nope that's your domain you know how you keep your space you can see where their natural bent is and where they will take the reins, you hand it over with grace, and then you have to live with however they do it. You don't get to second guess, <laughs> because they will fail. So if perhaps the thing is there's a big giant fight about what time you go to bed. If you feel like, okay, this is a spot where I think they kind of get it and they'll, they'll get there, then it can be, okay, I'm not going to make you go to bed at a certain time. But, you know, understand that you're getting up in the morning. <laughs> understand that, you know, here's the deal. And if you are responsible, then then you are responsible for this piece. And if it doesn't go well, you might need to take it back and have that discussion. But there's this very delicate dance of handing over little pieces, but always reading when there's a need that they need to be looked after. Because looking after someone is our basic function as human beings, our connection is, is to care for each other. And that means doing things for each other. And if a, and a teenager doesn't feel like you will be there for the need that they have, then they are going to react in a lot of different ways. And one of them is, is they're not going to bring you the stuff you really need them to bring to you because it doesn't feel safe. So I'd say it's that pushing that independence with the belief that if you don't, somehow they're just going to stay home till they're 40. And it's literally the opposite. The more fulfilled they are, 
uh, the more their dependence and attachment needs are fulfilled, the more they are free to become independent. That makes so much sense. <laughs> There's a lot of effort to educate teenagers about looking mm -hmm. after their mental health, about self-care, looking after their own mental health, um, establish, I don't know, fitness practice, meditation practice, uh, find someone to talk to, read this book about how to have a good day, a healthy life and all that. So you, you, my teenager, there you go, there's a book, go learn and please look after yourself is often the message we send them with this, isn't it? It is. And it's, again, we've just sort of lost this complete sense of we are meant all through society to take care of each other in various ways. And never is self-care likely to be the answer to the problem. You know, sure, you know, make sure as an adult that you, you know, get to your dental appointments and attend to your, you know, health needs or something. But we care, we exist what we need when we're having a bad day always is going to be a cup of tea with your auntie or your grandmother or your friend or your, um, it's that connection time. And in teenagers, I particularly, we've got a heck of a um, issue around anxiety and alarm that's going on in our teenage population. Some of it, a lot of it right now, um, fallout, I think also from the pandemic restrictions this group teenagers were hit uniquely hard in a lot of ways probably in the worst ways by mm -hmm. all of the restrictions and things that were were happening and by the constant alarm that they were living in and so that teenagers have often either sort of you know locked down they're hiding in their basements they're never coming out the world is awful and I don't want to be a part of it or they're super, super anxious and rigid about, um, you know, I, less so, I think, as this year has passed, but about only doing things that are necessary. Well, you wouldn't need to actually get together with real human beings and, you know, interact. They've, they're really feeling a lot of fallout from that. But this, what's important in a teenager, and, you know, so I'd say the language around, you know, co-regulation is probably better, at least, where what we need to do for them is be with them mm. and, you know, like when they are upset is to sit with them and help them process the thing that they're upset about, to be there with them, to come alongside them and go, yeah, I've been there. This is not fun. You know, I'm here with you, though. You're not alone. Because I think the thing, one of the fundamental things that your brain starts to be able to do as a in your adolescence, and we probably all, this is one of those things where we all go, oh, I remember this. You feel very alone as a teenager, and it's a function of actually developing as a separate individual, and mm -hmm. you suddenly come to the realization that really we're all, we're independent individuals, which makes us very alone compared to that feeling we had as children, which was, that you were always, you know, that you were practically a part of your parent, right? Like you, you were so attached that you really don't feel a separateness from them. Yeah. And there's a change that happens as a teenager in your brain that, that it, where you suddenly go, holy cow, I'm actually an independent human being. Oh my goodness, how very lonely that makes me feel. But in that moment, you should also start to feel but I can see myself and I have, I'm starting to have this relationship with myself. Oh, okay. Like, so actually I'm never alone because I can't get away from me. Okay. <laughs> like you start to have this. I bet it up was. But it's this huge thinking shift, right? That, that is happening in their heads and it's alarming. <laughs> and we need to just be there with them and remind them that, yeah, you know, hey, I'm here. I know. This is hard. And yeah, we got to go through this all. But you're not alone. I'm here. Oh, let me sit with you. Oh, my goodness. You know, I find, you know, I'm going to sit here and, you know, take some deep breaths. That's like a lot. Right? It doesn't have to be this teachy thing. Huh? You know what I do when I find this? I go out and find something to hit. 
right? <laughs> like you can, let's go find something. Let me help you find the, you know, the place to go blow this up. I think we should go throw some axes. How about we go kick the soccer ball? So you're teaching some of those life skills, but you're teaching them that they're in relationship to other people. Definitely. Not go look after yourself. Yeah. Does it feel like adolescence is stretching a little bit? For example, here in the UK, uh, in our generation, we used to be able to leave school at 16. And if a person didn't want to go on to university, to college and university, they could go and work. And now, by law, it's 18. And people seem to be living with the parents for longer and longer. Mm. How does it work out? They're basically young adults already. Yeah, absolutely. We get a lot of... um, And it's part of why this has changed radically in the last couple hundred years. We historically would start puberty and some of that adolescent changes later more like you know 13 14 15 we now see puberty hitting even earlier and you know Mm. you could argue lots of reasons as to why that's happening um but you will see a lot of kids starting to show changes and you know showing those kind of changes at 10 11 12 lots of young girls that are starting their menstruation cycles at 10 or 11 um which is you know, not great from a, you know, just from your ability to cope with these things. And on top of that, we're seeing that people aren't ready to leave home until 20, 21, 22, like much longer. So we've gone from an adolescence that used to start later and end really by the time you were 16, 200 years ago, you were working probably partnered and having children right (laughs) like you were this was you know like when a lot of people so adolescence was actually quite short yeah right which means it was this transition period that was very obviously a transition period it was this okay you're you've you know you're start and we had a lot of ritual around that and a lot of okay you will now be apprenticed to your uncle who's a minor you will now um you know go and work in somebody else's house and learn to housekeep you will learn you know there was a lot of just much more um wisdom around that because it made sense as society has gotten much more complicated puberty is coming earlier society is way more complicated so by the time they're ready it takes this much longer time so a bridge between childhood and adulthood that used to be you know two three years long is now 10 years and more and that's why it's very confusing because this now feels like it's a stage yeah right (laughs) it's long but it's not it's a transition and so now it's a 10-year transition like my goodness that's long and it's very we don't have a lot of wisdom about it because there's not a lot of instinct on how to handle a 10-year transition right so it's a it's a very different space Mm. how we're preparing students and all sorts of things they're often just not ready and financially you know can you go out and live on your own at 18 with the job that you could get at 18 you probably can't financially right like this is much more complicated on you know lots of levels it's Part of why we're so confused about what to do with teenagers is because it's way, way longer than it was originally. And we've lost a lot of the things that also help, which were rituals that we conducted to, you know, that were like, okay, you are, you've become a young woman. Here's some of the things that, you know, happen now that you are a young woman. These are some of the responsibilities. Like we've lost some of the stuff that just helps right with teenagers figuring out how to transition and feeling their way through and how okay i have some responsibilities i have some pride in those responsibilities i'm a part of society i'm a part of my family now i must think in those ways and the adults around me will help remind me that ah sorry buddy not a kid anymore 
you know, you said you'd show up for this thing and help. So that's how it's going to be. You're going to show up and help. We've lost a lot of those things. So there are some cultural rituals that remain in some cultures, much more so. And just off the top of my head, things like bar mitzvahs and bat mitzvahs and things that are much more of these teenage coming of age. Um, we've lost a lot of that. For both of us, we don't hand over the reins as parents in certain things. Are we kind of stuff teenagers back into school for longer? So no, it's not just parenting that parenting through the transition that takes longer. It's schooling through this transition that's taking longer and longer yeah. and teachers exactly. don't know what to do anymore. Um, they don't know. The teachers are a bit lost and confused. Um, we, we've let go of the fact that teenagers still belong in their families. Teenagers in high school, how many times do you see parents around a high school? Well, it's exactly where they should be, right? <laughs> like they should be hanging out making, you know, fun projects that are adult-oriented, helping coach, helping with this project, helping with that group. But we start, we pull teenagers out of their families, out of their context, into this pool of other peers that are the same age that also aren't any good at looking after each other. If they're orienting around an adult, if they have a strong coach, a strong principal, a strong teacher, then they can do great. But we often aren't that's not the context of what's going on so they become really difficult to teach because they're not paying any attention to us because they're oriented to the peers they're too busy you know there's too much else that's distracting now it's very hard to keep all of the technology is a horrendous thing in teenagers i mean it's the biggest battle parents have is how do i manage this because it's pretty much impossible not to you know have them online in some fashion by this point how do i manage it how do i help them to manage it have you got a show or a movie about teenagers that you love and one that you hate that doesn't get it right? I'm really enjoying the uh, new shows about teenagers. These, these teenagers are not what we used to be like. So I'm watching it and thinking, is that what's actually happening? Or is it wishful? Like, never have I ever sex education. Yeah. Yeah, never have I ever. I find interesting, but again, the trick that tends to happen is is whether or not they involve the adults. And so some of the movies that I like, I mean, that are even just around, I find the teenage ones can be really hard because we tend to um, eliminate the adults from the equation, from the storyline, right? It's yeah. all about the yeah. centered around, right? The plot needs to be moving, yeah. Yeah, well, exactly. Like in Harry Potter, yeah. If teachers actually said, don't do it, and actually took care of those kids, there would be no books <laughs> and no stories. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> exactly. And so, you know, and we, so we tend with teenagers, we kill off their parents quite regularly in storylines, right? Yeah. Like they're, oh, let's just get rid of those. <laughs> so I find it really interesting when you find a spot where they the adults are actually involved and you're like oh right okay like this so often uh, i hear lots of people will like uh gilmore girls although I, I haven't watched that one much um i don't know if you guys have it over there at all there's a like a you know police murder mystery one that's called castle oh i've heard of it yeah and it's quite interesting you know so it's just you know you're sort of t it's slight a little lighter hearted than you know some of them are but what's really interesting is the relationship he has, the main character has with his teenage daughter. And because he just stays with her in this playful, like his parenting is just, I'm going to look after you and I'm going to play with you. And that's just where he lives. And you're like, ah, like, man, oh man, does that. And it's just such a lovely, you're like, right. You don't have to get all tangled up in, you know, that they shouldn't be disrespecting me in this way or whatever else. I am here to tell you, if you're parenting in 2023, your teenager is going to say disrespectful things or roll their eyes or do so. It is what is going to happen. And you need to be the bigger adult here, right? Like you just got to let these things go. Frequently, teenagers really, and this is the thing that helps me so much, is to remember that they are being hijacked by such intense emotional experiences and all of this new stuff that almost always they wish they had done better in that moment too. And so if you give them that grace that they just got away from them 
because they just can't and because they're often they're shocked too i mean i've heard you know teenagers when they're in a you know a really you know elevated state you know you could say the sky is blue and they will say no it's not and you're like okay <laughs> right and do you think that five minutes later they're not thinking to themselves oh my goodness i just said <laughs> right well give them some grace and be like hey like there's a lot going on in your head there you're having you know like just just give it a minute and be able to come back to them in a playful way perhaps if you've got the relationship and be like wow lots going in there kiddo you know <laughs> what what colors the sky in your world today you know like what's the <laughs> you know finding some spots finding the humor so i like you know shows that just are a lot more you know can demonstrate good adult relationships i really liked um goodwill hunting is probably one of my favorite movies it's a little bit older he's more college age and i don't know that it's one that i mean you could watch it with your teenager but just the what happens with a good adult lead lots of people like really like you know things like ted lasso and stuff right now too <laughs> yes <laughs> that takes me to my next question because they're actually young adults there right footballers they're not teenagers but we use teenager not as much well as well as the indication of age between like 13 and 19 but we also say it about our three-year-old you know we've got three ages uh we've got tween ages we say it about uh grown up or someone who's meant by their you know a date of birth would imply that they are a grown-up but they're still behaving <laughs> like a teenager so oh, such a teenager so a teenager has become a synonym of someone who is moody rolling their eyes impulsive absolutely <laughs> it was with my seventh year old who was doing who was being a teenager he was slamming doors <laughs> he was rolling eyes he was calling me names I was like, well, that's seven going on 13. But the thing is, this teenage behavior, this is a description of a, a rupture in the relationship that's showing up as this stress response in the behavior rather than something that's supposed to be this age. Why is he, why is he doing it if, he, if he's not this from 13 to 19? Mm-hmm. Well... And people, you know, maturing, you know, I always love this, you know, statement of Dr. Neufeld's around um, growing older is mandatory, growing up is not, right? <laughs> like we can, you know, maturing through those ages. So most, I mean, that three-year-old and that 13-year-old are very alike. And if you can, in that moment with your 13-year-old, remember them as a three-year-old and that do it myself energy, you know, I know how to do this, <laughs> right? It helps you not, because it's the same thing just happening at a different level. And it is so often, yeah, if you're getting that energy of like, you know, like that lots of pushback, it's a lot about a lot of counter will energy, which is the energy which protects you from being influenced by people you're not attached to in the moment. The young teens are very, very full of it on purpose so that they can become their own beings. And so you will see that even when you're, you know, sort of everything's going right, you're still going to see that counter will energy. But often it's it should be in the service of I'm trying to figure myself out. And you kind of can figure out the feeling is different than when I'm just pushing back against everything and everybody because I don't feel connected enough and that you know, when it's those things, you know, it's your cue as a parent to be like, oh, I need to back up. I need to collect them. I need to, um, you know, get connected again. I need to, you know, collect before I try to direct them to do anything. We totally forget this with our teenagers. We think we should just be able to walk into a room and demand they do things because they're more adult. Well, none of us works very well that way. <laughs> and so it's often, you know, we just need to take the time and I think it's the big it's the biggest thing with teenagers is they can be a little slow to warm back up to you they got a lot going on they're in their heads they're trying to figure out this thing oh my gosh now I have feelings about a girl and I can't like they just they're just so much going on in there that you can take a lot to just you know it's why one of the big reasons to hang on to you know food is your 
as where your role is, is if you keep showing up with snacks and breakfast and, oh, you're not moving very fast. Let me just come help you. I'm going to sit. You, it can be a source of great fun. I'm going to sit here and feed you this piece of toast. Like I'm going to, you can play with, you can play in these spots and get them warmed up and able to listen and follow you to get you through some, you know, those morning rituals that got to get done, those uh, the getting to school, um, all those sorts of things. So yes, it, I mean, it, and it, it doesn't mean they'll never be able to feed themselves. No, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> right. I always find, I find like my example in this, and I would admit very much to, I don't do well with uh, conflict and things. So I tend probably to over, you know, do things for my child and, you know, make the world work a little too much for her. But I find it very interesting because she doesn't have to help with dishes. That's not kind of her thing. She does laundry. She does a lot of other household things, but the kitchen isn't yeah. really her domain. But if we have company, the moment we're done eating, she is up clearing the table, putting stuff in the fridge, getting dessert ready. I have never once, I don't ask her. I don't say, hey, we're having company. Please do this. That is her stepping into the need for her family, because that is how we're designed to work. She has the instincts that say, oh, I can be helpful here. Here I go. And that is not once have I said, when we have company, you help clear the table. You look make me look like a bad parent if I don't. <laughs> nope. I just stay. That's not her. But she will spontaneously do those sorts of things. So if you fulfill the needs, then they have the want to be important in their family to want to help out to want to be independent and you know useful and things it, like it you know it'll surprise me every time when she leaps up from the table and that you know and i'm like huh. <laughs> but i'm not saying anything because it's <laughs> it's her it's coming because it's coming from within her right and that's what we want we want it to come from within them we don't want them doing things because we said they were supposed to we want them doing things because because they want to because that's the kind of person they are that's our goal that's beautiful yeah that's a beautiful way we're designed if we just let go of control a little bit yeah have we got time for one more question what would you say sure yeah. i sure <laughs> yeah. mm. so this is something i'm very curious about and this is again concerning young children preparing for teenagehood sex education at school that starts well here in the UK it starts at about when they're six seven and it's awkward and on the one hand of course they need to be prepared and you've just said we need to get the input in before they're 12 because they won't listen later on especially when they are at the mercy of those forces of attachment what would you say is the wisest time to start? Is the best way around it? Should it be coming from school? Should it be coming from the family? Should it be a combination? It's cringy. Help us out. Oh, this is such a, unfortunately, become quite, you know, controversial on how to do these things. And we're in a bit of a sticky spot. I always say everything about sex and sexuality is meant to be in the context of attachment. All of it. The sex itself, the understanding of my sexuality, the um, who's teaching it, who's talking about it, all is meant to be in that context. We now live in a world where kids can be told by outside people very easily without you knowing all sorts of things, whether no matter how hard you try to shield them from that. Yeah, there's TikTok out there. Right. Like there's a million things. And it can be something, I mean, as simple as, you know, another kid deciding to share with your kids something cool they saw on the internet that you were like super not cool with. We used to live in small villages in which you were relatively assured that your community was on the same general page around sexuality and when that was important to talk about um, and whose job it was. There was very specific people whose job it was. The aunties discussed 
sexuality before you were married with which was at 16 but <laughs> the, the uncles you know would take you out if you were a young man you know they would take you out into the woods and have discussions about how to be manly and how to treat your partner and you know all of these sorts of things we have lost all of that and we now are in a context where schools really took on um, teaching sex ed and then and then on top of that we so it used to have a lot of religious and moral connotation to it which was not great we got we went okay that's not good and so we backed out of putting any meaning or context around the sexuality because we were afraid in institutions to talk about you know what's right what's wrong you should do this you shouldn't do that we didn't want to do that but we forgot to actually tell families that we were giving that job back to them and so now we teach in schools all about sexuality and things in ways that are very disconnected from the thing that is most important sex is fundamentally about attachment it's a hundred percent about attachment so you can't teach without that coming up so when i teach around sexuality for teenagers and things i try to bring in a lot about you know where sex is supposed to bring i think we've probably gone a little too far in terms of the time you can start talking around sexuality in some respects is you do need to address puberty which is probably grade four nine ten like you you got to get in there because there's some stuff going on ideally it should be coming from the family because it should be you should be being taught about these very important parts of things from your family does the school have a role sure but it should really be in in supporting what the families need to talk about we're getting way ahead of the game i think uh, by getting into really young ages and some of that stuff in the early ages i don't know what they're teaching you know sort of in the five six seven year olds in the uk but often it's around how to protect themselves like stranger yes. danger right yeah hello offloading uh, our responsibilities on five-year-olds right <laughs> it's it is not their job to know how to protect themselves from an adult who is predatory that is a hundred percent about us is it a societal issue yes is it a five-year-old issue mm. no right do you know do we need to have some awareness do we need to have some sure we need to have our heads up because this has happened in the past and we know things happen still do yeah so as adults that is a, but it's a hundred percent on us it is not on the child so do i like it when children learn the proper names for their various body parts yes <laughs> because <laughs> that helps a lot of things right <laughs> It helps them describe what's going on in their bodies. So would I prefer that they learned the proper name for their penis and their vagina and things? I would, because then they can explain what they're talking about better. Um, and is that in itself protective? Because they can say those words if somebody is, you know, touching them in those sorts of ways and they have the proper words from that's protective. Yeah. But don't make it sexual. It's just about body parts, right? Um, you know, you teach them, you don't give them a funny name for their elbow, you know, and then expect that, that they carry on forever and don't know isn't actually what an elbow is caused, called. So sure, good language, understand your body parts. Again, much more appropriate to come from your family than it is to come from an outsider mm -hmm. anyway, you know, much more comfortable. We are unfortunately in a world where we are going to be forced to have way more conversations with our kids and with our teenagers than we as parents might be comfortable with. But the other option is the rest of the world is going to teach them about sexuality and about sex because they will, it's no longer somewhere else. It's in their face all the time. And so we have to get in the conversation. So the adolescent sexuality course that I also you know teach, so the part two, it can just be really helpful for people in a lot of ways to like, okay, you are gonna have to figure this out. Here's the ground you can stand on. Here's why it's gotta be you or a trusted relative. So often those sexuality conversations do go better with an auntie or an uncle or a surrogate auntie or uncle, because it's a bit weird with your parents. 
some parents are really good at it. Um, but you find all the opportunities that you can as they're growing up to like, you know, talk about, I don't know, over here we had, used to have the show Big Bang Theory. Oh yeah. Yeah. And I love Big Bang Theory because it's such a <laughs> good demonstration. You can talk about it all the time. Geez, like Sheldon didn't approach that very well. You can see that his girlfriend didn't, you know what I mean? Like you can just, it's a conversation starter. So you don't have to have big conversations. We're going to sit down and talk now about, no. You can talk about someone else. That's brilliant. Exactly. One step removed. One step removed. Talk about the story. Talk about the movie. Huh. They figure it out from, you know, those, like, get in the conversation because like it or not, they're going to be having that conversation with somebody else. And that's what's going to inform their sexuality, not what you think. Because we're no longer in a space where you actually have control over that. So you're going to have to talk more than you wanted to. Sorry. <laughs> I would say we need to brace ourselves, but it looks like we've got to open ourselves up wide and step into a lot of discomfort and be really brave. Yep. <laughs> I always, that's my joke, because, you know, if you have to stand in the closet and say the word penis 20 times first, that's what you got to do. I love right? it. Oh my, can we please come back to you and do a separate episode on sex ed? That would be amazing. Absolutely, it's my favorite thing. <laughs> oh, wonderful. Yay! <laughs> Thank you so much, Robin. That's been an eye-opener. And it's been, yeah, we'll just have to, we'll just have to need a whole lot of courage and relationship Exactly. It's, I think there's a whole lot of waiting, watchful waiting and just keeping our teenagers out of trouble that has to happen, especially those first few years, is you just have to be patient. <laughs> it will get better, <laughs> I promise, but it's when you need to have friends and people around you that you can go vent and go take your feelings somewhere because it's tricky times. And you need to just trust that it will all come back together. You just need to keep them out of trouble and hold on to them through that time. Courage and friends yes. for us. <laughs> yes. Thank you, Robin. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. 